Hi, I'm Tammy Hicks-Jackson. Welcome to my podcast. I am a Christian pastor in the United Methodist tradition, and this podcast covers a variety of topics. You may find anything from Bible study and devotions to yoga and meditation from a Christian perspective to my thoughts on Christian leadership and the church. Look for the descriptions and the tags for each episode to find what you're interested in. And thanks for taking this journey with me. Let's jump into this episode. Moving into John chapter 14, in verses 1 through 14, Jesus elaborates on where he's going. At the end of chapter 13, Jesus has talked about he's going away, he won't be with them forever, and they don't understand that they think they can go with him. And he, now he's going to elaborate. These are designed to be words of comfort, but they're also confusing. This, Jesus says, is all part of the plan. It, it's happening the way it's supposed to. And Jesus it says he will return. And we believe that's a reference to the second coming. Um, Thomas then speaks up again. We hear a second time from the a disciple known as Doubting Thomas to us. And Thomas is the one who basically goes, we don't get it. Like, we do not understand. You say we know where you're going. We know the way. We don't even know where you're going. How can we know the way? And you just said we can't go with you. So how can we if if you just said we can't go? And you already said you were going to go and come back. So why do we need to go? I thought you were going to come get us. Like, we don't get it. There. Um and Jesus' answer is, I am the way. And this is another one of those I am statements here. Um, he says, just follow me. If you follow me, you'll end up where I'm going. Um, just follow me. Everything's going to be fine. So Jesus makes that I am statement, and he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's not a way. He is the way. He is a unique manifestation of the presence and the person of God. Um, this is how you come to God, is through the person, through the example that Jesus Christ has given us. Philip still doesn't get it, um, that to know Jesus is to know God, and to know God is to know who Jesus is, is to recognize Him as the Messiah. He says, Jesus and the Father are one. That's a mutual indwelling here. Um, and believers will receive the Holy Spirit after Jesus ascends. Um, the Spirit can completely indwell us so that we have a mutual indwelling with the Holy Spirit. And then because the Spirit is connected to God the Father and God the Son, then we have this deep connection that allows Jesus to continue His work in and through us. Verses 15 through 31, Jesus talks further about the coming of the Spirit. There are lots of words for the Spirit here. Um, it's called an advocate or a helper here, a paraclete, one who walks alongside of, a comforter, a counselor, and especially a counselor for the defense. So like an attorney. Sometimes we think of a counselor as a a sweet person who listens and talks to us and nudges us forward. Um, sometimes we think about a counselor like a professional who talks with us and gives us deep insight and helps us make the right choice. The Holy Spirit certainly does all that, but there's also this picture of an attorney, a person who advocates for us and through us, who argues for us, who defends us, um, 
who gives us a good dose of honesty and truth. A lawyer will tell you what your chances are, what you can do, what the law says. Um, so all of those become a picture of the Holy Spirit, as well as the Holy Spirit being the spirit of truth. The Spirit will help us to see and understand what is really happening and what is really needed. Um, and he says, you'll understand more later. Again, hindsight is often clearer than our sight at the time and our understanding. While they will see who he really is, other people will not. They still won't get it. And it will seem so obvious to the disciples that it will be shocking and frustrating that others can't see it. This is how I feel when I look at Jesus in the scripture, like he fulfills so many Old Testament prophecies, the things that he's done, the way his ministry connects, the way things he teaches echo how Jesus created the world and the things that Jesus said to the early patriarchs, that it just seems very clear to me that Jesus had to be the Messiah. And so it's hard for me when other people can't see that as well. But Jesus says that they're spiritually blind, and that's why they can't see. They're they're blind to it. In verse 27, he says, but don't worry about all this. Just follow me. It'll all work out. And he offers them peace. I give you my peace. Um, the Hebrew word for that would be shalom, which is a meaning of all is as it is supposed to be, or all will be as it is supposed to be. Moving into chapter 15, in verses 1 through 17, we get the very core of Christian spirituality. This is what a life of following Jesus looks like. It is these beautiful passages about the vine and the branches, and Jesus is the vine, and we're the branches, and we can't bear fruit unless we're connected to the vine. If we get cut off, we, we wither and we die. And sometimes we're pruned away. Sometimes we disconnect ourselves. But there's also things in us that have to be pruned away. It's just a beautiful picture of this. Um, the word abide, continuing to be with me, abiding is used 11 times in these 17 verses. And the phrase bear fruit is used seven times. It can be helpful sometimes to either print this out or use your Bible if you mark in it and take a, a color pen and circle all the uses of the word abide and then maybe underline all the times it says bear fruit. He's being really repetitive, which tells me he really means for us to get it. The vine is a common Old Testament image for God's people. Jesus now applies that imagery to those who follow him. Um, the connection and the relationship are essential. Uh, the better connected we are, the better fruit we can bear and the more fruit that we can bear. There is some pruning. The pruning is a metaphor for spiritual growth. It's part of our sanctification process. As Methodist Christians, we believe in God's provenient grace that draws us toward relationship. It goes before that prefix pre and draws us into relationship. Justification, justifying grace, is when we accept that relationship. Um, some call that getting saved, our conversion experience, our um, acceptance of the relationship that God offers, and God translates us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. He picks us up and puts us in His kingdom. 
But then we have to learn how to live as a citizen of that kingdom. And that is sanctifying grace, the process of sanctification, of becoming the person God created us to be, which means not only doing and becoming some things, it also means stopping and giving up some things. And that's a pruning process. Some things must be removed from our lives. And sometimes people, there are some people who must be removed from our community of believers. It applies to both. Sometimes there are people who are holding us back, um, using resources that are not beneficial, that don't take us in the direction that God wants us to go. Verses 7 and 8 give us the promise of answered prayer. And this is not a blank check. We can't ask for anything and think God is obligated to do it. But it's an invitation to deep communion and dependence upon God. The more we are connected, the more we understand the heart and will of God. And then when we ask, we ask things that are in keeping with the heart and will of God. And that's how we can get what we ask. That when our heart is as God's heart, the things we ask will be what God wills and God will grant them. Verses 12 through 17, we see that a believer's love for and communion with one another becomes a natural outgrowth of love and communion with Jesus. The book of 1 John, who we also credit with this author, this disciple writing, um, says that you can't hate God and love your, you cannot love God and hate your fellow human being. To love God is to love others because God loves others and God loves through us. And anybody who says he loves God and hates his brother is lying. The truth is not in them. Um, if we love God, then we love other people because those people are made in the image of God. Christians are just not given the possibility of hating other people. The bearing fruit is about being effective. And bearing fruit is bound to our love. Um, we have to, loving is part of bearing fruit. Yeah. We become friends of Jesus rather than servants. Um, we get a, an elevated status here. Um, obedience, love, and communion are all things that make us partners in God's plan rather than subjects who need to be controlled and instructed and managed we're invited to become willing participants and partners in what God's doing. Um, it's another elevation of the human condition, which reminds me of Genesis. When God walked in the garden with Adam and Eve and visited with them, we now are invited to that kind of relationship and that kind of participation in the will of God. Um, and it will be much more effective than a sacrificial system of repentance and appeasement, which is what a lot of people think of when they think of religion. Um, verse 18 begins a section that goes through the fourth verse of the 16th chapter. Um, Jesus reminds us that the world, the world hates him. They don't like him. And we will experience very similar things. Um, things that are different, things that are anomalies, we tend to like to eliminate. We don't like the, what is different or odd. From the time we are born, there is a pressure to conform, to be like everybody else. Don't stand out. Don't be difficult. Don't be odd. Don't get um, noticed for the wrong reasons. Uh, be normal. 
Um, and Jesus says, as my disciples, you're not going to be normal. You're going to be different from the world. I'm different from the world, and that's why they don't like me. I'm challenging them. I'm telling them to do something different, and they want to elim- me, eliminate me, to snuff me out. And they're going to do the same thing to you. Um, don't expect the world to like you any better than the world has liked me. Um, just, just as knowing the Son is knowing the Father, so hating the Son is hating the Father. And that's what he's saying the world is doing. They think they love God and are rejecting me, but hating me is hating the Father. Because if they really love the Father, they would see that the Father is in me, and I'm doing the will of the Father, and they wouldn't hate me. They would accept me, embrace me, and follow me. And he also affirms that they have seen and heard enough. They have enough evidence to be convinced. They ought to be able to see it, but they don't. And they're going to be held responsible for refusing to see the truth about Jesus. Um, When we don't have an awareness of something, we're not held responsible for that. But when we know something to be wrong, then we are responsible for doing something about that wrongness. In verse 25, we have allusions and quotes from Psalm 35, 19 and 64, 9. Um, In verses 26 and 27, Jesus now sends the Spirit. Um, Earlier, he said the Father will send the Spirit. Now Jesus is the one who sends the Spirit to us. But remember, if Jesus and the Father, if Father and Son are one, one and the same, then it doesn't matter which way we say this. God is sending the Holy Spirit there. This section runs on into chapter 16 in verses 1 through 4. This is the portion that started back with verse 18 of chapter 15. Um, He's forewarning them so that they won't be shaken in their faith when these things happen. Like I'm telling you up front that this is going to be a hard road. So when it turns out to be hard, just like I said it was, don't get discouraged and don't lose your faith. Um, You're going to be kicked out of groups. You're going to be expelled from the synagogue. Um, You're going to be cut off from the ways of worship and study and community that you're familiar with. There's going to be a cost to choosing to be a disciple of Jesus. They're even going to kill you. And they're going to do so thinking that they are being faithful to God, but they're very, very wrong about this. They're deluded. They're spiritually blind and they're deceived. But he's forewarning the disciples to be prepared for all of this. It's what's going to happen. Um, And that takes us through the end of the, the section that ends with chapter 16, verse 4.